Welcome back to another episode of the Talks of Life podcast. In this episode, I interview my friend, Drew Hahn. Drew is a suicide attempt survivor who advocates for suicide awareness and prevention. He is currently working for San Diego County as a mental health social worker. I find his story to be extremely motivating and inspiring. He has turned his pain into purpose while creating a movement for his hometown and his whole life. As always, I hope you enjoy this episode and thanks for listening to the Talks of Life podcast. At first, it was like I was trying to get away from like working within mental health, just like clear my mind for a little bit. And I was applying down here in San Diego to like Barnes and Nobles and liquor stores and shit. But uh, I applied one place that was mental health, a social worker for the county. And now I work for the county as a mental health social worker. And it's all just like really worked out real well, you know. So how long have you been with that company for? Um, actually, I've been now uh, a little over a year. Okay. Yeah, it seems like a whole different, like, lifetime, you know? And I used to, like, have this weird thing where I, like, like, after my suicide attempt, my life would be like, oh, yeah, that was before the suicide attempt and after the suicide attempt. That was, like, this big, like, change in my life. But now it's like, oh, that's before I moved to California and after I moved to California. So now it's like way cooler <laughs> to talk about that, like mm-hmm. that, you know, instead of my suicide attempt being like that big change. Yeah, for sure. Cause that um, first attempt was four years ago or long, longer than that? Uh, my first attempt was 2012. Oh, okay. Well, that's kind yeah. But I mean, it, it didn't stop, you know, until I had, a, I had two more and it was like, almost one year apart each time, which was like real, real weird until I found out about seasonal depression and and stuff like that. So it kind of, it all started clicking once I started like learning more about like what was going on within my body, my brain. So um, was it like a therapist or like your own studies and research that you discovered like more of the root of the problem from? Oh man, it was, it's been like, uh, it's been so much of, everything and and for a while it was just kind of like even when I you know I tell my story to all these different groups and and kids and and my clients and sometimes it's like a big blackout for a long time you know and when I hear like my friends or my family talk about how they saw me from the outside during those times I'm like I do not remember that at all you know Uh, but it was like it was a mix between you know I was inpatient in psychiatric centers for a long time like I would do so many days get out and then I'd kind of like relapse again and then I'd be back in but I mean it really came down to my own will to survive at at certain points you know I mean I was doing the therapy and of course like when you're inpatient you got to do everything but there there are certain things that have have happened that kind of made things click when I was like all right I gotta I gotta try to get better right now it was like you had recognized you were that choice maker like if you wanted to fix this problem you were the one that was gonna do it yeah absolutely yeah yeah I know that life is tough and I think you know basically the audience that I'm trying to to bring this work to is like real people like we're not we need each other to learn from and and heal from and beyond that it's like these real stories and, and life lessons that um you can share and again inspire someone to like maybe get out of that dark um, hold that they're in and, and who knows for sure yeah dude that's like that's okay. what I like really dig about like what you're doing because like a real conversation is like what it's gonna 
ultimately that's what it takes and that like that's why I've got any position within the mental health field that I've ever had because they're like look he wants to talk about it he's been through it you know and and there were so many times where it was like I'm in therapy and there's a psychiatrist looking at me like I understand and I'm not taking anything away from their education but it's like like I have like vivid memories of one and I saw in his office he had these Georgetown degrees hanging up behind him and I heard him you know I'm not like really listening I'm like kind of blacked out at this point on so many different medications and uh he's like I understand where you're coming from Drew and I just that's all I remember just like all this like rage coming over me like no you fucking don't man like I'm glad that there are people out there like psychiatrists that have the education but I'm like you you've never been where I've been so don't like I appreciate you trying to help me but don't you're not helping me by saying you understand you know because everybody's story and journey is so drastically different so even for me when I'm talking to people it's like I, I can't say I understand you know I mean I've been in similar situations but I don't understand at all from where you're coming from for sure and so a real conversation is what it's going to take about anything you know so are you saying um I mean in a sense like these people do spend a lot of time and money of course to receive these really valuable degrees but it's not actually again they're not coming from a real life experience I guess to provide the solutions or guidance that you really need, huh? Yeah, for sure. I mean, by the books, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and, and like I said, like I totally appreciate this doctor in particular. He helped me through a lot, like trying to find what medications at the time I needed. And but it was just that one time when he said, "I understand." It's it like if he wouldn't, if he wouldn't have said that, these feelings that I have, I don't think would I ever have came to me but when I heard him say that I I just started like going in on like oh you understand like drug addiction and wanting to kill yourself and like you've read about it I know but you don't understand like that feeling of being so so alone like or or feeling such as heavy weight of being a burden that you want to die like do you understand that doctor because I don't think you do they don't put that in books so was it until like you met another person or a group of people that shared their story that you you know yeah it's actually I reflect on it a lot uh, I talk about it a lot but there's um actually this one woman so like when you're in a psychiatric center inpatient you're in this like uh it's just like a common area you know it's kind of like jail <laughs> honestly and there was this one woman it was like after my third attempt and I was uh I was just like really lost but there was this one woman who I became friends with in the psychiatric center and she had been diagnosed uh schizophrenic and but she was so interesting to talk to and when you're in there kind of just like jail you kind of figure out who you can talk to and and who uh who's able to talk to you, I guess, or relate to you at any, at any point. And, uh, and we were going to all these different groups, dude. And, uh, they always start out with something like real cheesy, like, what's your goal today? And it went, uh, we were going around the circle and it came to me. And at that point, my, the only reason I was there, my goal was to stay alive. And I told him that, like, that's all I, I'm just trying to get by day by day, staying alive. And then it went to my friend. And she's like looking at the ground and she says, uh, my goal today is to surrender. And we're all like looking at each other like, oh shit, you know, like you automatically think surrender in a bad sense, you know, like giving up. And 
but she went on to say, I, I, I want to surrender to my illness and I want to start working with it instead of against it and learning how to live with it. And uh, I talk about these, just listening to her say that in her shaky voice. And I'm like looking down and I see like a puddle of tears and I'm like, yeah, for sure. I feel that like I'm, it, it's about time that I start trying to deal with it rather than fight against it because it, fighting against it was bringing nothing but pain to myself and pain to my family and friends. And so we've stayed in contact ever since then. And I think, you know, I, I wear a, I even wear a necklace a lot that uh, says surrender. I mean, she changed my life with just like those words. And she has no idea like how much that meant. Yeah, it's like, like almost a real, you know, like an angelic message. Just like, that's what you For need sure. to see that moment. Yeah. And that's like, that didn't come from a doctor from Georgetown, you know, that came from someone who was there just like me for whatever reasons. So that was the first time you had been put into that? Okay. No, that was the third time I had been inpatient, like in a psychiatric center. The, the first time in 2012, I was still so, so depressed at that time that I didn't like take a lot from it. Uh, most of the time, you know, I was there for I forget how many days, it seemed like an eternity, but I was still so uh, fixated on dying that it was like, I was so sad to be there, not because it was scary or, you know, I, I obviously I didn't want to be there, but I, I just was sad that it didn't work like my plan. And so I didn't, I refused medication for the longest time. Uh, I didn't really participate in any groups. I didn't leave my bed a whole lot. So uh, you'd opt out of those things, kind of like um, you can. And <laughs> for for so long, you can kind of fly under the radar until they start um, bringing like legalities, and they can do like little hearings in there that will force you to make take medication and stuff like that. So that's all. I mean, this is all in Illinois, correct? Indiana. Indiana. Yeah. Is Rush County? But I mean it. What's that? What county in like? Oh, that was in Indianapolis, Marion County. Yeah. So I, I was taken by ambulance to first I had to go to, um, you know, a hospital to make sure I was, you know, they were helping me stay alive for the longest time. So then it was, I remember the time when I like came to and I found out, you know, I figured out that I was alive and because I was kind of, in and out of consciousness for a few days and then they were I was in a wheelchair and I thought I was getting out and going home and they were wheeling me over to the psychiatric center and that's kind of when I was like this is real it's getting very real now and I just cried for days and uh and like I said not for any particular reason only because at that point you feel like getting even more failure because I couldn't even you know, kill myself correctly. It was like, and and at that time you have to really face it when you're looking at your. When I woke up and all I saw was my mom and she's crying and I'm like, oh my god, like I'm sorry. What you know, I'm sorry that I don't want to be here. Now you know that. You know, I didn't want you to know how bad I felt. Right. That's like kind of where, like where my passion came from because uh, all all of this started for me when I probably around 14 or 15 I had a lot of like physical uh, medical issues and I was in and out of the hospital having all these different procedures uh, on my brain and my head from an accident in high school so 
growing up from like 16 to 18, I was just in and out, in and out, surgeries, surgeries. I was missing just like pivotal times in a teenager's life. And all this time, you know, I'm trying to, my mom is one of the most important people to me. So I'm trying to like put on this brave face for her because she was already so afraid every time I'd go back to surgery. And we spent a lot of time together in those hospital rooms. And I'm just like, you know, we like to goof off. So we're making jokes and just trying to make the best of it. But inside I had all these feelings of like really, really dark things, you know, I'm sad that I'm in there. And, and there's, some, there's, you know, even from a psychological standpoint, there's sad and then, you know, you go into depression and then major depressive disorder and, and things like that. And, but at that time I didn't have a clue like what, like what I was feeling. Nobody was asking like how, you know, I know that you're, you could be better physically, but how are you mentally, you know? No, not one person ever asked me that. And uh, so, no, she had, no one had any idea. Uh, and I had no idea, you know? I don't even know if somebody would have asked me back then if I would have even known how to answer, you know? So then, uh, and, and I was at 18. So then I was, my freshman year in college, I moved away just to try to get out of my hometown I thought that would help you know a little freedom and because in my little hometown Indiana I was always the sick kid everyone knew like I'm praying for you Drew like we've been thinking about you blah 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 which was great it was nice I get it but I was so tired of being the sick kid that had brain surgeries and all of this we didn't so then when I got identify with that like person any longer right you kind of wanted to move forward and like yeah absolutely line, right but it was it was so tough to move from that you know and and not only is it tough like in my own head but you you also don't want to look at these people that are coming up to you like i'm praying for you and be like well save it you know i'm tired of it quit praying for me you know so i'd always have to go into these stories like thank you so much like it's been tough blah 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 and and it was tough, but I was just so sick of talking about it. So then when I moved away, that's kind of like when I figured out that moving away wasn't going to help anything. And I actually just kept falling deeper and deeper into my depression. And, and again, my friends that I lived with, they knew, I mean, after the fact, they would say like, oh, there are there were some signs. Like I stayed in my room a lot. I started putting like sweatshirts and stuff over the window so because I was sleeping so much I didn't want to know like what time it was you know if it was always dark in my room I'd always just figured it was nighttime so sleeping was okay I had been thinking about suicide for a long time at this point it was almost a year in advance I decided like I was going to kill myself and it was just trying to figure out the details and and the date and everything like that and my mom's birthday is uh February 11th so I was really trying to get past her birthday so then there wouldn't be this big bad memory. But I went home on Christmas break, my freshman year of college, and that's, I just couldn't wait any longer. And like I said, it was like January 22nd was the day and I was really trying to make it past February 11th, but at that point I just couldn't do it. and. Uh, so that's the night that I attempted. And thankfully, I called 
a friend and I, and I was very like intoxicated at the time, but I, I was crying and I, we always had this dream to come out here to California. And all I said was, uh, you're just gonna have to go to California without me. And that like sparked something in her and she ended up calling the state police and, and they came and they found me, which was great, it saved my life. Um, but that's where this whole thing started. After that, it was like, I started getting education on what was happening and it kind of validated some of the things that I was going through, kind of hearing like, this is a real thing, you know, you're not just like weak-minded or, you know, you're, you're ill right now. And so that kind of helped, but it also kind of made it worse because then I was like, oh, I'm ill, I'm never going to get better. Just kind of spiraled from there. So then I ended up in the psychiatric center, got out. I didn't follow up on anything. I didn't take any medication. And then a year later, I attempted again psychiatric I mean it was like just this vicious circle and that's kind of what happens to everybody and until uh until I heard my friend in there say surrender after my third attempt and uh that's when I started surrendering and that's kind of like when I started thinking like man I, I could like do something with this I could like help I could make sure that no one feels as alone as I did you know those certain times and it's it's wild because I have so many great friends and family and and even as the 19 year old that I was at the time, uh, I was able to kind of think like, not everybody has what I have, you know? And so if I have to be that person for somebody, then I want to be. And so I started putting it out there. And, and I mean, I think a lot of people can relate from going to, from being in high school in whatever town but even in a, in a small town, it's kind of worse. Like, I was like, I need to tell my story before someone else does, you know? And so I started being more outspoken about how I was feeling. And then I just, it was like, I was just rattling all these cages and all these people started coming to me like, Drew, I'm, I'm depressed too. And I, I thought about suicide too. And at the time it was like filling my heart and my soul, just trying to help everyone. Until it came to the point where I was like, I am not, I can't do this by myself, you know. And and I was taking on everyone else's struggles, so then I ended up attempting again. But then it came to the point where I was doing this, all this work for suicide prevention and mental health, but I was still struggling so bad and no one knew. But that's like when I started checking myself in instead of like attempting to to end up in the psychiatric center. Would they provide like? What real solutions, I mean, besides medicine, of course, is there like, I get that is, is a real brain chemistry, like that's the problem. Sure. Like, there's just different mm -hmm. uh, releases of endorphins and such that just aren't where they need to be, yes? Or, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a number of things that can uh, play into mental illness. You know, you can, I mean, I, I mean, for me personally, I think that it is genetic, but I was living a life that wasn't helping it at all, you know, kind of exacerbating it by uh, not talking about it. I was drinking a lot, partying and, and drugs and, and all those things kind of bring, shed more light onto it in, in the wrong ways. So I, I just kind of got lost and it was untreated for so long, you know. I was living with an undiagnosed or, yeah, undiagnosed, untreated, serious mental illness that I was trying to work on it by myself and that's just not how, 
how that works, you know, just like anybody, if you have diabetes, you go to the doctor, you know, if you, if you have cancer, you, you, you get chemo. I just wasn't doing anything. And that's what led to all these, all these feelings until, I mean, it was just getting worse and worse until it came to the point where I was, I was experiencing psychosis and auditory hallucinations. And I mean, it was just getting deep, deep, deep. I was just falling deeper until I just cracked. And, and the psychiatric centers that, I mean, it's a big misunderstanding with people. Um, you know, I see it a lot now in work. Families will think their loved one will go to the, to the psychiatric center maybe for a weekend because legally, if you get taken by the police or, or the ambulance, it's like a 72 hour hold. And these families think that their loved one will just come back and be better. And that's not, psychiatric centers really are just to keep you alive and keep you safe. And you know, you're expected to do the rest, which I mean, it's tough. It's, it's a double-edged sword because I, I advocate for people. I don't hate psychiatric centers and it's, that's a tough pill for me to swallow, you know, but, uh, some, you know, someone like me, I know that they kept me alive several times. Uh, but they they don't do much, unfortunately. But it's a journey. I mean, they can't they can't hold you forever, you know. So I mean, is that all funded through taxes, or are you like come out with like medical debt through that, or insurance covers it? Yeah, well, there's different. I mean, there are some psychiatric centers that are funded by you know county taxes and things like that, but then. Um, if you have private insurance, you go to different one. You know, there are some that accept private insurances or some that will take people with no insurance and stuff like that, which it, it, I mean, that's also just a big, a big sham. I feel like that's a whole nother conversation with that. You know, it, it's unfortunate, even when you look at the differences between the ones that accept private insurance compared to, you know, Medi-Cal or Medicare and just the le the level of care that you can receive di differs so much in the two yeah that's unfortunate so i mean in like a perfect world where we could create something like for people you know tomorrow yeah. uh, would the center be like open to people to just come in when they feel mm -hmm. needed to go to a safe place right yeah. yeah but i think like you know my goal now is to have that real conversation with people and spread that education so they so people know when they need to reach out for help you know like I said back then I didn't even know what depression was or, or I didn't know what was happening so mm -hmm. so I try to get out there and let people know that these feelings are real and these mental illnesses are real but you don't necessarily have to have a diagnosable mental illness to feel these certain types of way I mean, I, I hope that everyone knows to reach out to the appropriate resources when needed, but I know that that's not true. So it's a, it's going to be a lifelong thing. And like you said, in a perfect world, it would be solved tomorrow, but it's not going to be, this will be my work forever, you know? Yeah, that's amazing. Because I think, yeah, again, just opening the dialogue and having the conversation, of course, to, hey, you're not alone, just speak through it. And I think that really, you know, to hold back so much emotion 
by simply not speaking of it, you know, mm -hmm. you can cry, yeah. but like really holding back your own pain through your, your words and stuff is, it's a very therapeutical to just let it out, whether that's journaling, again, verbalizing it to, to mm -hmm. a friend or someone who just listened to you. It's important. And that's, again, part of this like whole intention of this platform to just have like a very open space to like, hey, this is life, this is real. And I'm not going anywhere. We're not going anywhere, but let's like share that. It's like a beautiful <laughs> thing. Like, I talked to so many people who they're afraid to, to talk about how they're feeling. And, and I get that not everyone is gonna be as outspoken of their dark past or their mental illness that they live with daily. I get that not everyone wants to get in front of a crowd of kids and talk about that. The message that I try to get across is like, you don't have to talk to a million people and you don't have to advocate for these certain mental health groups, but just talking about it helps, you know? And like you said, journaling, I've, I've journaled since the first time I was in the psychiatric center and that's helped a ton. But really me doing what I do now is, it's all therapeutic to me now. But again, not everyone is the same. So I think talk therapy is a lifesaver, a life changer, you know, um, for, for someone who can, who has insight or for those who are just experiencing severe psychosis even, just like get it out of your head, you know, you have all of this just, about to explode and it, just get it out there people don't understand people don't it's not that they don't understand it's just that they've never even been told that that's just it's alarming to me <laughs> no for sure and i like to you know can't say i've ever attempted to commit suicide but i've been in a very dark place myself where i remember wanting to run away but it was still like an escapism of of wherever i was i wasn't you know happy and Absolutely. you want to get out, but there's still getting out, right? You're kind of like, yeah, I mean, you, you can run as fast as you can, for sure. I mean, one thing I have to, you know, I'm trying to silence the stigma that, that follows mental illness and, and suicide and suicide together. And so one thing I do have to say is like, no one commits suicide. It's not a crime. You know, I, I attempted to take my own life and, and, and those who we have lost in the past to suicide, they died by suicide. Uh, commit just has this crazy dark stigma around it so when i hear it i try to i try to put that out there you know and and sometimes when i talk to somebody that has lost a loved one to suicide and, and they'll tell me you know my son committed suicide two years ago and you, you just see their eyes light up like he didn't commit suicide you know he died by suicide it's a it's a real illness and those are just little ways that we can silence the stigma for future reference. But just but, shifting uh, the conversation and like the way you perceive the whole. Yeah, absolutely. It'll change it. But I do understand like running away there, there, there are so many different ways to ask about if someone's feeling suicidal from, you know, do you want to, do you want to hurt yourself? Do you want to, do you want to die? Do you wish that you could just go to sleep and never wake up? Or do you want to kill yourself, you know? And like you said, I, I feel like running away, that doesn't necessarily scream suicidal, but it can get there, you know, if it's not. It's like the talk. first step, if you will, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Because, I mean, that's how it kind of started. I wish that I could have just slept forever so that I didn't have to deal with it. And obviously sleeping forever turns into, okay, I just want to die now, so... Hmm. If we catch it early enough, 
Yeah. It's a life changer. For sure. Would you say like, it's because you didn't have to, of course, participate in the world. You were just like in your bed of like. Of Absolutely. Yeah. Even just. Right. Even after like a hard day's work, you know, there's a lot of times you're just like, oh, I can't wait to get to bed and just like turn my brain off. But when you're living in a constant battle between this super dark, depressing thought, it's like, I just need to turn it off completely. So sleep was like my one escape. But then when the psychosis set in, I would go days without sleep. And it was just not safe for anybody. So you would take, I mean, pain pills? What was the main, like, induced... (laughs) Was it mostly alcohol that you would numb the pain with or like? Uh, Well, like I said, at the time I was going through like a lot of physical uh, ailments. And so I had a neurosurgeon who, again, he wasn't even trained to deal with something like this. So uh, I knew that he would give me painkillers anytime that I asked because I was having some very serious pain and surgeries and all this. So it would just, it was weird because it wasn't like when I, when I talk about my addiction now, it's like when people, again, when people hear addiction, they just picture, you know, selling all your furniture, robbing your family and, and buying these drugs on the street. But my dealer was my doctor and I was taking what I started with like one Percocet a day to get rid of the pain until uh, it turned into two and three. And then it was like, I never like, bought them off the street i never like broke them down and snorted them or shot them or smoked them Uh, i just felt like i had to take these pills to feel better until it got completely out of control and then being in the hospital during these like big changes of teenage years when i would get out of the hospital for a little bit i would just like try to party my ass off to make up for all this lost time you know so if there was like friends that were having bonfires i would just go there and get completely wasted not knowing what i was doing but i was trying to at that time i thought i was just trying to catch up you know just sorry i missed the last few i was sick so let's go (laughs) way hard tonight and but then that ended up, ended up getting out of control too. And Another spiral. Hindsight, it was me just trying to mask all this pain that I was feeling without. Instead of being the super depressed suicidal kid, I was just this party animal, you know? So no one knew. That's pretty wild, huh? So you're doing it, like, much better now. You can definitely like attest to that. <laughs> so yeah, for sure. Yeah, I still, don't get me wrong. I, I no, still like enjoy a drink, right? Like, yeah, for sure, for sure. But um, it all. But I mean, there are still times that I like. Uh, you know, I still battle with with what's going on in my head. And, and but now because of not because of medic. I mean, I don't want to say medication can't help and doesn't help because it does, and it got me to the point where now I don't need it. But through education and. and open conversation now I know when I shouldn't be drinking or I know when I shouldn't indulge in in certain activities you know I know when I need to pump the brakes and really take care of my my mind that just came from uh from learning about what was happening you know not 
-hmm. not medication or anything like that. That just came from experience. What jobs were you like typically doing at this point? Like for money, like what work were you doing? (sighs) I wasn't. You weren't, okay. No, I mean, I was going to school at the time and um, I was just like doing like little stuff like restaurants and stuff like that. But it was just like school was, it was, I was, I'd go for a few days and then I couldn't. So then I'd have to get a new job or I'd have to drop classes because I just couldn't, I couldn't function on a normal level. You know, I couldn't get things done like I needed to. So that was a whole nother thing because that makes you feel like a failure too. You know, when you're telling your mom, like, I'm sorry, I lost this job. And she has no idea. She's like, Drew, you really need a job. I'm like, yeah, I, I know that. It's just hard for me to get out of bed sometimes. And it looks like laziness, but it's it's some way deeper than that. You know? Since then, it's like I've tried to make a living doing this, trying to help. And for the longest time, I like, uh, I kind of, I feel like we're uh, similar in the way that we have we can see these visions in our head and you know years ago when I first started I took this I applied for this job as a receptionist at my local hospital and the entire time uh, not that receptionist isn't a good job but at the time it was like I just want to do this so I can talk to somebody in the hospital and get my foot in the door and, and talk to them about suicide prevention and that's exactly what happened and but that, I mean, it was a long process. I, I did, I volunteered for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention for three years without getting paid, you know, and just had this receptionist job. But then I finally ran into the CEO of the hospital and I was like, if you just have a few minutes, I have this to pitch to you. And uh, unfortunately, he had lost somebody to suicide in his life, but that made him really grab onto this whole plan that I had and he was like I want to support it in any way like let's have some meetings and all of a sudden you know in my hometown we're putting on suicide prevention walks and uh, the hospital started the Drew Hahn Suicide Prevention Fund which was amazing you know it was amazing uh, humbling and we started a uh, suicide prevention across Rush County just all of these great people that had this common goal of preventing suicide and talking about mental illness and now it's a huge thing and I and then I started getting jobs in in hospitals in bigger cities and when I came you know like I said when I came out it's just all from lived experience and and meeting the right people and having at least five minutes to tell them like this is what's happening you know I don't have this crazy degree on my wall you know it's just things that have happened to me, which I think is amazing. I feel like that could go into any aspect of any job, you know, it's like, you've done it long enough and you have a true passion for it. Like there, there are a few people that I come across that even in the medical field, when they talk to me about suicide prevention, not to sound like a narcissist, but I'm like, I, I know more than you. Why do you have this job that you have in front of me? But, that's how it goes sometimes. Yeah, that's uh again that conditioning though of like you gotta have the experience as to getting the degree that tells you that gets you credible sure. to, to have this knowledge <laughs> yeah. of solving the problems and such. But yeah. it's so yeah. simple to me. 
you know, with the college degree myself even, but it is life at this point. And I think it's, again, so valuable for these conversations to continue to happen. And, you know, the ripple effect that, of course, you kind of started in, in a smaller county, you know, sure. in a place like that, it's just living proof that it can happen. And it it's definitely one person. It, it, it can happen on so many different levels. And so, like, with anything, if you show enough passion for anything, people will catch on. You know, you start lighting those fires within people about anything, and you're bound for success at, at some point. You know, it's not, it's definitely not going to be quick or easy. But like I said, I was working, I was doing this for nothing at one point, and all of a sudden I was starting to get paid for it. And I was like, hell yeah, I'll do this forever, you know? And hopefully, you know, I've been working. Um, I recently bought the domain names for moreatlassad.com and .org. And, uh, and it's the same thing. I just want a place, a safe space to talk about what's happening within any aspect of mental health, you know, from someone who doesn't have a diagnosis, negative self-talk or, you know, negative self-image to somebody that lives with schizophrenia or has a loved one with schizophrenia. It's like, I just want to invite anybody that deals with anything to, to be able to be open and find a, find a space that they can talk about it openly, you know, anonymously or loud and proud up to them. That's really awesome. Have you ever um, heard of, or like familiar with the concepts of like, I want to say they're like nature retreats almost for people who are in, you know, the depression stage or maybe suicide attempt. Um, Absolutely. I want to say they're like four circles or something, but I know like in North Carolina, when I was up there, I had um, crossed paths with someone who was like a mentor in that type of therapeutical session. It's, and it seems like that's kind of a newer trending thing too. Do you know anything? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are so many different groups that, try to incorporate all these different things and right now we are like in the midst of uh, a lot of people uh, wanting to get away from medication which I totally understand that too you know there is a big war between you know communities you know us who deal with things like this and big pharma as a whole so I, I do I have seen a lot and I've experienced a lot you know I recently went to equine horses and it was it this this horse ranch was is owned by all of these licensed psychiatrists and psychologists but they put you you know in in the fenced in area with these horses and you're walking around while they're talking to you and it's kind of like you're focused on the horse but they're asking you questions and the truth just comes out way more when you're focused on something else like that you know i have a pretty big fear of horses so <laughs> when I had this big like horse next to me, I was like vulnerable as heck. Just I would have told him anything just to try to get out of the ring for a little bit. They're a wild animal that's way bigger than me. But uh it that that day really was it was like something I'd never experienced. And simply walking I mean side to side, of course. On yeah. The- yeah. At one point I wasn't even walking, I was just standing next to it because I was like just kind of wigging out. But it was still just some something different she was asking me me all these questions and I was saying things I haven't said to a therapist like maybe ever and I think it was coming from this 
and to you know reflect on I mean more or less just comparing that space of where you felt maybe forced to like share your story or mm. with you know the original um, therapist with you know the degrees right. the like it's a very boxed it's not an open space sure. where you can actually mm -hmm. breathe life in to even right yeah I think that, that, that thing, right do you think that was a big for sure yeah and, and therapy when you don't choose therapy isn't gonna help like at certain points in my life, it was like a legal obligation that I I have to do these outpatient things, and it's like that that's not going to get me anywhere, you know. Yeah, uh, strange. So like when you go somewhere, you know, like to the psychiatrist and psychologist that own a horse ranch, it's like no insurance doesn't pay for a horse ranch psychology. So you chose that, and you're happy to be there. But it was crazy to see like there, you know there. First, they give you the rundown of how, how horses are so in tune with emotion. That's all, like, that's how they base it, every decision that they make off of. Uh, and so, like, when I started, you know, I was starting to tear up at certain points, and the horse would stop, and she would, like, start putting her head against my shoulder. Like, it was like she felt, it was just the, it was the most wild thing in my life. So. That's so cool, though. I mean, because at the same time, you were, as you, you were, like, facing one of your bigger fears at the same For moment. Sure. Yeah this whole huh. vulnerable um, in every aspect of the word vulnerable yeah for sure that's how a lot of people are doing it now which I I'm so to the point where you know the social worker in me I understand there are some serious mental illnesses that medication is mandatory I mean not, not mandatory but that will be the most effective way to help some serious mental illness but to a certain degree it's like please just do whatever you want to do but just be making some kind of movement in the right direction like for someone who's afraid of big pharma medications at first I'm like yeah I will take you to the horse therapy if that's what you want to try you know I'll take you to any holistic doctor in the county of San Diego if that's what you want to try right now but just please do something anything so I, I, I'll never be, even if I go back and get those degrees and I become Dr. Han one day, it's like I, I never want to push bills on anybody. I, I just want to see some kind of positive emotion in the right direction. With your clients, how does that, I guess, business plan, not business plan, but how does that, like you commit with like a six month time with them or just uh, well, I, I, I work um, it's kind of like a short-term linkage so I, I just my main focus is to build rapport with them and, and use my lived experience to let them know that a what society would call normal and happy life is possible with a serious mental illness you know and and so the clinical side that none of that is up to me you know I, I work with lead clinicians and psychiatrists and and we share what's going on with certain clients and then they kind of give me like ideas to just to toss to my clients you know we we move at the client's pace we never do anything that they don't want to do but just walking beside them and and because like I said earlier like a lot of people don't have friends and family you know which is for me, it was mind-boggling to a certain degree. I take my family and friends for granted sometimes. I feel like when I see someone that doesn't, so, you know, there are certain times where 
some people don't hear any positive affirmation for years because they don't have anyone there. So just me being able to walk beside them and say, like, look, you're, you're showing a lot of resilience and you're showing resourcefulness and um, you have, you have a great chance to do these great things. Just let me help you, you know? What age group? 20 to as old as anybody might be. You know, before this job, I'd always worked with youth, which was great. It was great for a lot of different reasons. Um, one, because I just, I feel like I'm better with kids. I'm kind of more of a kid myself, so I can really get down with some kids. Now, working with all over the board, it's, it's even more eye-opening to see, you know, a 70-year-old who's had this un, untreated mental illness for so long. And that's when, you know, I... I have to give it to them. Like they might not be in the best position at that time. They may be homeless at that time, but it's like, man, you've made it this far without any help. Like, can you imagine how much better your life could get if you'd like, just let me walk beside you right now and achieve some of these goals. I mean, but we, we can help with anything. If their only goal is to get a driver's license, it's like, all right, let's get out to the DMV and let's try to make this happen. You know? Like I said, we're we're not pill pushers by any means, you know. But I think that again is probably a big California thing too. I mean, they, there's a lot of, rightfully so, but there are a lot of laws out here that protect patients' rights, and, and if they don't want medication, they don't have to take them. Whereas back in Indiana, for a long time, it was like Drew, you have to be under supervision. You're mandated to take these medications. You have to do intensive outpatient. You know, I was going four hours a day every day. And that was just so I wasn't sent back to the psychiatric center. It is so wild to me. But yeah, every state is, of course, regulated differently. And I believe in everyone having that freedom to, of course, choose whatever health care you, you need at that time. It's your, For sure. It's your, like, the only time any decision making against a person's rights is if you're a danger to yourself or you're a danger to someone else you know i mean if you're threatening to jump off a bridge and take your child with you on the bridge it's like i got i'm gonna report this you know but to a certain extent it's all up to them life is just this weird ebb and flow of trying to like figure it out right but at the same mm -hmm. time no one kind of has it like figured out it's like what is there to figure out what are we right. trying to search for anyways but yeah it's just staying grounded and minding and shifting like the whole perception of just you know life is good and we're like so blessed to be here and you know no matter what like sure. that story happened you know as a child or young adult or even adult mm -hmm. like at the age of 50 like you yeah consciously choose to just start over right <laughs> for sure yeah yeah I, lo I love to tell you know again you don't take trauma past trauma away from anyone you know you hear that out if they want to open up about it but I one of my favorite things to tell certain people when they come to me with any issue is like I you know I hear you and I hate that that happened to you but I'm focused on what we're doing right here and right now where, where can we go from here to help you cope with whatever may have happened you know and i know it's kind of it's weird because i i'm pretty much make a living off telling my story of the past but it's the big message is every day i focus on 
what I have to do right now to keep going, you know, to stay alive. And if that's stay home, stay in bed, or go to a music festival, you know, it's like, I got to do what I got to do right now to fix whatever may be happening. When you think about not having life figured out, I love, I love that because so many people want to come to me with these questions. And it's like, dude, I don't know. I'm just, I, I'm, purely figuring out with you that's all i can do right now is you're you're teaching me just as much as i'm teaching you you know and we all learn something from somebody there was even a time where i did a news interview uh about suicide prevention and about staying well and all of this and when it aired on tv i was in a psychiatric center and i watched you know i watched it from the common area and all these people were like isn't that you i'm like yeah and here i and here i am man i'm telling you i don't have any answers for anybody other than let's just do it together and figure it out that is quite the moment huh <laughs> yeah oh, dude. for everybody huh? <laughs> for sure for sure that for the nurses and for the doctors and for everyone sitting next to me and then yeah for, for myself it was like oh my gosh at first I was like I hope no one even sees this and puts two and two together but then at a certain point you had to be like yeah that's me and and I'm here too you know so it's kind of a good testament of like no one ever has it all figured out I'm just doing what I can so with these clients I they want to sure. start with you know you said the DMV they want to get a license is that like part of a goal setting plan that you still have in place for them or they Again, it looks different yeah it looks so different for for so many people and and i like to start out a conversation with like you know what when i say a better life what what does a better life look like to you you know and then the answers you get from from it, everybody are so different and it's like okay then let's start right there you know if someone's like i, I want to go back to school it's like, okay, we can go, we can get you back into school, but there might be some steps we have to take in between there, like get a license or, you know, get a bus pass or get a physical done, whatever it might be. But that's a good way to just like get a lot of things done towards their big goal. You know, like there's a lot of little steps it takes to achieve one goal. But sometimes people are like, I want to get help. I want to see a doctor. I'm like, let's do this thing, you know, but if they don't mention it, I don't mention it. I like to, you know, there's, there's ways that you can bring up like, well, you know, what got you into the situation that you aren't in school right now? You know, what, what's one reason you're not in school right now? And then that kind of opens up a dialogue of like, well, well, I got arrested. Oh, what happened? Well, I was like, you know, I hadn't slept in a few days and blah, blah, blah. I was delusional. Then that opens up the whole the whole conversation, which is, I think, a beautiful way to do it, you know, rather than just showing up like, you're mentally ill, what's going on? Like, tell me, get in the car, we're going to do a therapist, blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, that's not going to fly, really. I, I, it's like things like this and people like us that are going to change that for a lot of people, I think, you know. I don't want to talk about doctors. I want to talk about you right here, right now. What's going on? You know, how do we fix whatever situation you're in right now how can we make it better real conversation i mean even to hear that they maybe don't have these friends or family or even just a teacher to go to um so again just be the ears and eyes so like 
listen to them, right? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, once I get to share my story, it's like, I don't know, it's kind of like an eye-opening scenario for them. They're like, holy shit. They, like, he's felt this way. He's been, he's been sick and now he's here talking to me. And, and you should, you know, sometimes whether it's in my professional life or personal life and people reach out to me for help, when I share my story and, and especially if I'm talking to a family member and I get to the point of telling them, you know, at one point I was experiencing like auditory hallucinations and to a lot of people that just screams crazy. And you can, I can just tell by the, if I'm texting someone about a loved one or if they're face to face with me at that time, you can kind of see like, what, who am I talking to? <laughs> like, wh what do you mean? And I'm like, I'm telling, like, you just, you're not understanding the way that this like mental health thing works. Like it, there's always hope for recovery. And yeah, to not truly ever understand until you are in that place yourself is just, for sure you know my even my mom she goes she is open about her experience of living and just keeping me alive at certain points you know and she gets to talk to other family members now and and the way that she remembers things is so different than the way I remember things due to just blacking out for for a lot of the times she she'll tell me even like I feel so educated when I'm talking to these families but I still have to be honest, I don't really have a clue like what he was experiencing at all. You know, she has her experience and I have my experience. And to a certain degree, I would never want her to experience what I experienced. You know, at certain points in my life, I wouldn't have put my brain in anybody for 10 seconds. You know, it could have been really dangerous. But now it's like, I want everyone to know that not knowing is okay, <laughs> but being willing to admit that you don't know what's going on is a real answer kind of sounds cliche and hallmarkish but it's true <laughs> yeah well it's that <laughs> willingness to again transform the whole thing into something that can shift your life like i guess there was pain and darkness absolutely i mean yeah and once you're willing to admit that like just being true with yourself and honest with yourself it's like things can only get better from there when you start admitting this thing. In my personal life, I'll have friends that are like, Drew, I'm experiencing this. And I'm like, you should maybe talk to a doctor about it. And then, uh, you know, they, they might get put on a small dosage of antidepressant or something. And all of a sudden they're like, man, I feel like a lot better. And it's like, all you, all you have to do this entire, how long have you dealt with that? You know, all you had done from years ago is say it out loud one time at one person and we could have just avoided all of that beautiful but very complicated like just system and everyone wants to act like they have all the answers and that is not the case you know like the, it takes a village they say for sure it's like solving this climate change problem of course too like it's not not everyone's gonna have the solution, yeah but yeah it's like together we're gonna need to solve problems so for sure and everyone needs to be working together and talking just, i mean it it literally i mean my niche is mental health but it goes with any aspect of my life from you know from any direction it's like i just have to talk about it. there's somebody out there that has experienced similar things in whatever situation
my credit score is low. Oh, hey, mine, mine has been too, you know, <laughs> like, let me help you try to figure out how to get that high. Just like any, like literally any. Yeah. yeah. But, well, if I, I feel like from the first time I met you, I knew that uh, you were, at, even at that time in my life, you were on a different level of trying to make a change, you know, from just like, the, like you were the, you're, you were the reason I didn't throw a cigarette butt on the ground for, <laughs> for like three days. <laughs> <laughs> and then like when I did throw one on the ground I remember telling uh whoever we were with at the time like I was like looking over my shoulder and Brittany didn't see that did she <laughs> like but that was like a little like change and now I try like I honestly tried not to you know so that's amazing you were on, you were on some like real deal stuff back then too and that was years ago for sure no and it's just believing in yourself again that you can have that you have the power to do it it's like it's not a real easy thing again it doesn't happen overnight but it's taking the time and the energy and the effort to say yes this is what i'm gonna commit my my time to. this is what i want my life to to look like and to feel of course so heart-centered and like you actually are doing what you what you feel like you came here to do right (laughs) for sure yeah which help i mean that helps a ton you know (laughs) To feel like you're, even just to feel like you're helping in some kind of purpose that you feel passionate about is an unreal feeling that I hope everyone at some time gets to experience. Unfortunately, I know that won't be the case, but I wish the feeling I get after giving a speech or or talking to a kid who comes up to me and says, you know, I've, I've felt that way and I've wanted to die before too. It's like just this I don't know if it's like adrenaline or like it's just this feeling of like holy shit like I'm doing something right now and that feels good you know I know that a lot of people do a lot of things for the paycheck just to get by and it's like man I wish you just would feel this one time and you would quit that desk job or what you know whatever you're doing at the time you would quit if you just had this this feeling of like like i said it just feels like my soul even if i never made a dollar from it you know i would find something to pay the bills but this will never end for me now because i know that like that this is like in a certain way like gets me high makes me feel like i'm i don't know it helps me feel like i'm a every time i give a speech i feel like i'm apologizing to my mom as well you know like look i'm doing something i'm sorry for for what I put you through in the past, but I'm making something out of it now. And so I get, I get like emotional thinking about that after every time I speak, you know, I'm like, I just hope my mom does that. Like, I'm sorry. And uh, of course she, she'll be in the crowd. Like, you don't have to apologize. <laughs> it just helps my yeah, heart. The legacy you're, you're leaving to the world and your community can remember you as like that person who, more rad, less sad, baby. <laughs> yeah, more rad, less sad forever. <laughs> That's groovy. So I'm excited for that website to be up. You're going to have to let me know. Um, for sure. I got, I got, it's in, it's definitely in the works right now. And I have like a lot of people that, and you're on the list of people that um, I'd like to like interview, but I kind of want to do it. I'm thinking about more focus, like towards like how Rolling Stones is it. Like, I'd like to like have a question and then even if it's typed, like I want to interview people out here in person, but even if I just sent a list of questions to people wherever they may be at, because I'm pretty in deep with the mental health, like 
culture, you know, I got people everywhere. And of course, like this is way more conversational, but I think just for the, until I get it where I want it to be, I just want to have like a list of questions and, and explain why I'm reaching out to these people and, and then have them type back what they, you know, their answer. So it'll be more of a blog than it would like a podcast or anything like that for a while. Um, and I also like, you know, I have the email, so I'd like for it to be if, if someone like I, I like to write poems and if someone like like fucks with that I want them to be able to send it to me and it can be anonymous or I can put their name on it but if they have a poem that helps them I email it I'll put it up there like some someone else needs to see that I promise you you know or I want to have like a ongoing like list of like a playlist on there like do you have a song that like helps you alleviate your stress or your anxiety like share it i'll put it on this list so people can hear it if it helps you it could help someone else you know no i, I can like, I see your vision it's like a i mean a platform for people for tools and resources again for you kind of click and you're guided to whatever feels for right sure you, but it'll help <laughs> resources in a sense of not like here's numbers to call, here's a doctor to go see, here's a hospital. It's like, here are some things that you could read or listen to that shows you that you're not alone. And maybe that will lead you to reach out to a doctor or a hospital or whatever you need to at the time, but it could just open your mind a little and be like, damn, I'm not the only one that feels this way. Just like that surrender moment you have. For sure. I, I hope that I've been able to spread the surrender moment a few times. You know, uh, I, I wish that I could explain to that girl at the time how big of a moment that was in my life because I say it every time I give a speech, but it was it's so true. So hopefully, did you still stay connected with her? No. Uh, I, I did for the longest time, and then uh, I think that she was still battling pretty hard, and we lost contact due to some long-term hospitalizations from her. But uh, I know that I tried my hardest to get my message across to her how thankful I was and uh I see some of her family I ended up like talking to her mom and so I see some of her family on my Facebook like she's still kicking she's still doing good but she's just got some other things going on but uh they all know and uh I wrote it on a blog a mental health blog uh a few years ago and they put like they put it on their website so I got to send it to them and let them know that it was their daughter I was talking about, which was cool. Well, I don't want to take up any more of your Sunday fun day. I'm sure you maybe have plans or something going on. <laughs> yeah, we're still moving. So I'm just, and, I, this is actually way cooler than helping move a refrigerator <laughs> and washer and dryer. <laughs> For sure. But yeah, I appreciate it so much. Awesome. Well, have a great day, man. I'll talk to you soon, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'll talk to you soon. Much love, always. Yeah. Stay groovy. <laughs> Stay groovy.